0: Hey everyone, let's get right into the word today. I've got a good teaching for us today and the title of my message today is Spiritual Vitality. Last week we understood that we are on a race. The fathers of our faith were on their race and every choice that they made compounded to the manifestation, the physical manifestation of Jesus on the earth. Now, all our, the forefathers of our faith have, did not have that picture in mind. All they did was, with every choice that they made, they did it with full intention and obedience to God. If God told them, leave your family and go, I'm going to give you a land, they just obeyed Him. But God took the obedience of our forefathers, the choices of our forefathers, the fathers of our faith, and through their choices manifested or compounded a manifestation of Christ on the earth. Now we look at after Christ, our lives, we look at every choice that we make also has a consequence, also has a compounded consciousness of Christ, the second coming of Christ on the earth. Now, When I talk about spiritual vitality, I'm talking about the provision, the spiritual provision of God to you and I that enables us to manifest the second coming of Jesus or to manifest Christ on the earth. Spiritual vitality, understanding our spiritual vitality is very important for you and me. Spirit, now, I'm going to give you some, some definitions of spiritual vitality. So if you have a books, if you have a pens, if you have a phone, just quickly note them down because I want you to keep these definitions in mind throughout the entire message, okay? Right, so spiritual vitality is God's provision of abundance of life and His energy to you and me. Now, we're talking about every single human being that there exists on the earth, we will have access to this provision of abundance of life and energy if we are born again, if we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, if we're in the kingdom, when we're in the kingdom of God, now we have access to this abundance of life and abundance of His energy in us. Spiritual vitality is being spiritually alive and spiritually alert. Spiritual vitality is God's ability in us to exercise our faith with zeal. See, a lot of times we we think spiritual vitality is just, oh, you know, I have faith, I have faith. Yes, you have faith. But what are you doing with that faith? See, Jesus says, you know, the zeal for my house has consumed me. Jesus had faith, but he required zeal in order to be consumed with serving or building the ecclesia. See, we're all being called into a house. We're all being called into a family. We're all being called into being built into the ecclesia. The question is, do you have faith for your life only? Or do you have faith for the house that God has called you to? Because the choices that you make may have consequences, good consequences for your life. But God is also thinking about the bigger body. He's thinking about the body of Christ and how every choice that you and I make today based on obedience to the word of God compounds a manifestation of Christ on the earth. All of creation is longing for the manifestation of the sons of God. Who are those sons? Those sons are the ones who are being transformed into the image and likeness of their son, Jesus Christ. Now, spiritual vitality means that we live at a higher state of consciousness of Christ in us. We live at a higher state of awareness of Christ in us. So in essence what I'm saying is spiritual vitality is the provision of grace to be fully conscious of the realm of the spirit in and around you. See we're all part of a realm. We're all being brought out of one realm into another realm. We've been brought out of darkness which is one one king's dominion, and we're brought into the king's dominion, which is a spiritual dominion of the of his son. And so we must understand that when we're in the kingdom of God, when we're under the uh, under the influence, under the uh, when we're submitted to the to the king king's dominion in our life, there is a realm where he has full dominion and authority. And it is in this realm that you and I function. It is in this realm that you and I actually live our life. And it is in this realm that you and I, if, we're, if you and I are not fully conscious of this realm, you and I don't live to the full potential of the life that God has called you and I to live. What is our intention when we obey the word of God? because God's intention when you and I obey the word of God is not only for us to access the realm of the spirit not only access authority not only access the blessings the supernatural provision that of God in our lives but also to think about Christ to think about his body to think about his church to think about his ecclesia on the earth see we cannot just live our lives only thinking about ourselves we cannot live our lives thinking only about what benefits us. We've got to live our life with what benefits the kingdom of God. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Somehow there is a, we've allowed our lives and our mindset to be flipped the other way. We seek the kingdom of God because of what benefits us. We seek the kingdom of God where where we put ourselves first in the kingdom and we look at our benefit in the kingdom before we seek God's benefit. I want to encourage you to to believe with me for a lifestyle that you and I would seek God first and His benefit before we seek our benefit. See, Jesus... You know, God loved so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So God's intention of giving had to do with love. He loved you so much that He gave, which means He put you first. So if he puts you first and if you understand that that is the dynamic of the realm of the spirit then then if for you to access or live in the full potential of the of the realm of the spirit in your life you've got to understand the dynamic of how he functions the way he functions is he puts you first and the way you access this realm this this endless energy you access this abundance of life you access this this state of being alive and conscious and and full of faith and full of zeal is by putting Him first. Is by putting God first. By putting His church first. By putting His ecclesia first. By putting His kingdom first. By putting His nature first. By putting His desire first in our lives. And really, I I, I really feel like I need to invite you into this lifestyle. Because you know, we live in, in, in... In the city and this nation where we come here not because we come to add value. The intention of coming into this city and in this nation is what can we get out of this place? What can I get out of this place? What can I receive first so I can take and then I can leave? But see the kingdom of God is not limited to a geographical area. The kingdom of God is spirit. So wherever you are, there is spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if you want to access the freedom of the, that comes in the realm of the Spirit, you've got to understand that I've got to seek the kingdom first. I've got to seek Him first. I've got to seek His body first. I've got to put Him before my desire. And it is in this place that we actually understand that every choice that we make, God has a bigger picture in mind. And the bigger picture is Christ manifesting on the earth. So let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 and we'll read verses 1 and 2 to start off and then we'll take it on to where the Lord is leading us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews is encouraging us to run the race that God has set before us, which means that God has set a race before us, a path before us, and you also can set a path for your own life. When you seek the kingdom first, you're saying, God, I choose the path that you have set for me. A lot of times we, we prefer, uh, w- because we see the path that God has for us, and it sometimes can be a, a little difficult, we, we, we want it easy. We choose a path that we think is easier. Uh, we, we choose a path that, that is wider. We choose a gate that is wider. Uh, we choose uh, things that in our life that we, we want it to happen easier. No suffering, please. Enough. I'm tired of suffering. you know. But the path that God has chosen for us is a difficult path. The path that you choose for your life, although it may be a good path, although you may achieve certain things, but you will never have access to, to the grace of God for your life. But the the reason why grace is accessible for you and me in our lives is because we've chosen the path that God has for our lives. See, the path that God has chosen for us, man, that path is a difficult path. And we need the grace of God because it is the grace of God that every choice that we make on this path when we look at ourselves, when we look at our lives, when we look at the past of how we've made our choices, all we should see is the formation or compoundedness of Christ in our lives. When we look at our past, when we look at, uh, uh, you know, uh, once we get saved, once we look at our past and the choices that we've made, if we walked on the path that God has for us, you should only see the formation of Christ. And we must understand that the reason why we have the word of God in our life is so that when we choose the word of God and live in obedience to the word of God, the trail that we leave behind is the manifestation of Christ on the earth. So that when you look at your life and you look at the past and the choices that you've made, you see the formation of Christ in your life. All you got to do is when you look at your past is you will only see Christ. You will see the forgiveness of sins. You will see, um, uh, you will see sanctification. You will see justification. You will see righteousness. You will see demonstration of healing signs and wonders in your life. You will see miracle signs and wonders in your past. You you will be able to see how when you were given a choice to hate, you chose to love. That's looking at your past and seeing Christ being formed in your past. I'm reminded of this this story. Uh, where Paul, you know, he's talking about how difficult his life is. And he talks about a thorn in the flesh. And he, he goes to God and, and he says, you know, three times I've asked God to take this thorn away from my life. And the response from God is my grace is sufficient for you. That, that's kind of that's weird if you, if you understand. Paul has an adversary, a thorn in the flesh in his life and he's asking God to remove the adversary and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Which means every adversary in our life on this path that God has chosen, every adversary in my life, God is not busy trying to deal with my adversary. God is busy giving me his grace. So, so many times in our life, we're trying to deal with the problem. We're trying to deal with this adversary. We're casting out the demon and we're doing this and we're doing all of these things when God is saying, hey, listen, that adversary in your life, that thorn in your flesh was a part of my plan for you. I know, I know, I know. I know what you're thinking. But he says, listen, I've got a bigger picture in mind for you. I've got a greater plan for you. And that adversary is coming in your life so that you can be spiritually awakened to the to the amount of grace that I have for you. The amount of the grace, my grace, my ability that I've given to you. I'm, th- this adversary, if it wasn't for this adversary, you wouldn't need grace in your life. But because you have this adversary in your life, now you have access, you have become aware that you have access to an abundance, an abundance, a supply of God's grace, which means God's grace does not come to remove the thorn in your flesh. God's grace doesn't come To you so that you succumb to the adversary in your life. But grace enables you not to become a victim of your circumstances. But rather grace enables you to see the purpose of your adversary in your life. See, the very thing that you're trying to cast out, the very thing that you're trying to deal with, the, the very person who's, a, who's being an adversary in your life, guess what? It was God's plan all along for that adversary to be in your life so that you could look to God and have access to a greater realm of grace in your life. So the, so the writer of Hebrews is saying that we're all running our race. We are all running our race and winning is the only option. According to 1 Corinthians 9, he says, you know, all of you who run the race, hey, listen, run as if you're going to win the race. But let me tell you something. When you are running your race, the path that God has planned for you is not only just your path, but the bigger picture is Christ's path. So when you are running in obedience to the word of God, Christ is manifested on the earth. But when I say Christ, I'm talking about the body of Christ is manifested on the earth. See, when you and I are obedient and we're running on our path of life that God has for us, that path of life not only has you in it, but it also has every single person in our church in it. It has every single person in your life group in it. And when you're running your race, God is also saying, hey listen, consider the people who are in your life group. Consider the people who are in your church because when you are obedient to Christ and your neighbors obedient to Christ, more of Christ is manifested. When you and I are running our race, if we only think about ourselves and I want to finish this race and I want to win this race because I want to get the reward, then our heart is not in the right place. We need to run our race because we need to receive the reward. We need to run our race individually so that Christ can receive the reward of His suffering. See, when you and I win the race, we all win this race together. The winning of the race, the the victory, so to say, is the fullness of Christ on the earth. So, So the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, listen, when you're running your race, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's saying, when you're running a race, look to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus also looked to the joy that was set before him with which he endured the cross, which means everything that you're enduring in your life, you will experience the pain of it if your eyes are not on Jesus. If your eyes are on Jesus, now even though you endure the suffering, even though you endure the cross, even though you endure all the adversaries in your life, there will be a joy in your heart. One of the ways you know that your eye has shifted from, your gaze has shifted from Jesus onto the thing, onto self or the things of this world is look at the joy level in your life. Because if there's no joy in your heart, in this walk with God, if there's no joy, if there's no zeal, there's no happiness, you are there's no exercising of the faith because you love Jesus, then your gaze has shifted off Jesus, which means He is no longer the prize in your life which means he is no longer, you're not looking forward to being transformed into his image and likeness because our reward, ladies and gentlemen, is being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, listen, fix your eyes on Jesus. When you and I are more impressed with what the adversary is doing in our lives and we give it more attention, we, are, we have run off course in our life. The plan that the adversary has for your life is that you would run off course, you would get off course, you would stumble, you would fall and you would run off course and not fulfill God's plan for your life to become Christ-like. The enemy wants to make you like him. An adversary in your life wants you to be like an adversary. Doesn't want you to be Christ-like. And when you shift, when when you shift your gaze off Christ onto your adversary and what he is doing in your life, guess what you become like? You become like what you behold. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, listen. Stay focused on Jesus. No matter what is happening in your life, stay focused on Jesus. When you're focused on Jesus, there's a joy in your heart and there's a zeal in your heart. There's a zeal to exercise the faith. There's, a, there's this, uh, you are alive in Christ. You're not dead, you're alive in Christ. And now you're running this race. You're not walking. It's not a walk of faith, ladies and gentlemen. When you start walking, you've actually slowed down. You're actually looking at the scenery around you. The enemy has caused you now to shift your focus onto everything else around you except who you should become like. So I want you to go now, since you're in Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to go uh, to verses 14. We must understand that we cannot run our race only with us in mind, like self in mind. You have to run your race, keeping in mind that you're also part of a body. And as you run your race, it's important for you to consider that the body also runs its race. So verse 14 says this, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many have, been, have become defiled. I want to take this verse by verse, okay? He says, pursue peace with all people. Not just Christians, all people. He's saying pursue peace with all people. That word peace is the word shalom in Hebrew and the, and, and the word peace is not the absence of war. It's, it's saying don't, in Greek what it means is don't be in competition with other people. Don't be in competition with your brothers and sisters in church. Just remember you're running a race to win. But we are also running our race to win. And winning is all of us being formed in the fullness of Christ. Which means if, if I'm being formed in the fullness of Christ and you are not, then I'm losing. That's why we do life experience every week. It's because we understand that we are running our race and it's important for the church now to also be running the same race that John and Kelsey is running. Very important that you understand that. So if you're a life coach in our church, if you're a pastor in our church, if you're a leader of any sort in our church, if you're a head in our church, whatever it is that you're doing, The race that you're running, it's important for your life group also to run the same race. It's important for your team to run the same race. Because you just cannot win the race and your team lose it. The pastor cannot win the race and the church lose the race. We've got to understand that when the pastors run their race, yes, they're running ahead, sure, but at the same time, the church is running with them. The body of Christ is also being transformed as everybody is being transformed. The body is being transformed as everybody is living in obedience to the word. We must be very aware of this. And so he's saying this pursue peace with all people. And peace is not the absence of war. I wanna I wanna in Hebrew the word peace is the word shalom. But it just doesn't only mean peace, like as in "oh, I'm, mm, I'm in peace, I'm in Zen at the moment." No, that's not what it means. That is, is one one aspect of it is is that, but peace. And I stumbled on this is absolutely beautiful. Peace means overall well-being. Okay, just think now. Overall well-being. Peace is a is a holistic word. Not individualistic word. Peace is is, is about corporate well-being. Peace is about the well-being of the ecclesia. I hope you understand where I'm going with this. People, individually you want peace, but you don't want peace in the church for every single person. When we say, oh, shalom, when we say shalom, we're talking about peace within the body. The whole body has peace. When we say the word Shalom, it means wholeness. It means prosperity of the whole body. Not just individualistic. Now, I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's not about an individual person. It's about an individual person and the whole body. Come on, man. I hope you you get this. This is a very powerful word. It's very intrinsic. It's very to the detail. And here we see that the writer is saying, pursue peace with all people. All people in your church, all people outside your church, with the governments, with everybody. Pursue peace. What does that mean? Peace is God's prosperity for the full body. But the Hebrew pictograph symbols for Shalom is Shin, Lamed, Vav and mem these are these four words okay and what these four words mean is peace means shalom means to destroy the authority that binds to chaos so which means there's a there's a there, there's chaos that comes and it binds itself to you or me or to the body which means as individuals when we're running our race right we we recognize that Sometimes chaos comes to our life and there's a certain authority that binds us to chaos. And when one person in the family is in chaos, the whole body now begins to get affected by it. See, when one person stops running their race, the whole body gets affected. You must understand that it is not a coincidence that you are in Life Church Global. You just didn't wake up one day and say, well, you know, I'm going to go to Life Church Global because, you know, I like that pastor. I like it. You know, I like how they do church and it's very modern and it's very this and very creative and it's very like that. Oh, I like that. No, ladies and gentlemen, the fact, if you trace the thought that told you to come to Life Church Global, guess where it came from? It came from God and it came from the Father and the Father spoke to you and He said, go to Life Church Global. He planted you in this church. Why? It's because... It's important for us to understand that no matter what happens in our life, we need to stay planted in this house. Only reason is without this house, without you and I being a part of this house, Christ is not fully formed. In the beginning of the year, I gave a prophetic word, God gave a prophetic word to us as a church, and He said, Tell the church that every single one of you is needed. Why are you needed? You are needed because every time you are in obedience to the word of God that is preached at Life Church Global, Christ is manifested. You are needed not because of how you serve. You are needed because as a body, we together manifest Christ on the earth. It's very powerful. And now when one person in the family has been, there's, a, there's something, there's an authority that they've submitted to in their life that is binding them to chaos. Shalom means that the body comes together and takes authority over that chaos. And it breaks and destroys the authority over that chaos. Come on now. That word chaos means confusion. That, cha- that word chaos means, uh, it, it means disorder. When a person in Life Church Global, it, it, their life is in disorder, it becomes the responsibility of the body now to bring, to destroy the authority that that person is submitted to so that they bring them back into the order that God has planned for their life. We must understand that this life that we're living is not just our own. We're living a life keeping in mind that we're part of an entire body. If you are only thinking about yourself, you will be blessed, ladies and gentlemen. You must understand, you will be blessed. God is not an evil God. He's a good father. You will be blessed. But, the, but when you look at the bigger picture, do you see Christ being formed in and through your life. Do you see that? Hey man, you know, I love listening to stories of people who are like, Hey, listen, you know, I was, I'm in this church for the last 15 years. For the last 20 years. For the last 30 years. I'm in this church. You know why? Because I'm committed to manifesting Christ in this church. I'm not just running from church to church. Because I don't like something here. I'm going to go to another church. And then from there, I'm going to go to another church. And then eventually, there's no church in the city that can handle me. There's a problem here. The problem is you. Not the churches in the city. The problem is you have not dealt with the offenses in your life. The problem is you have not stayed committed. You have not been transparent. You have not been submitted to a community that has the authority to destroy the authority that binds to chaos. That's Shalom. We walk around thinking shalom is a greeting. No, ladies and gentlemen, shalom. When we say shalom to one another, we're destroying the authority that binds you to chaos. Powerful. And so here the writer of this chapter in Hebrews is saying pursue shalom with everyone. He's saying pursue, pursue destroying authority <laughs> of chaos in people's life. Pursue it. Run after people chase after them. When you see their life in disorder, chase after them and destroy the authority that binds them to chaos. Don't just leave them because if you leave them, half of the body is formed. A little bit of the body, it, it takes time for that part of the body to be formed. The, the, the slower the manifestation of Christ, the less you accomplish in terms of transformation globally. We must understand that. We're all on a mission, ladies and gentlemen. We're not just wasting time. We're not just doing church because we like to do church. We're on a mission. And that mission is bringing transformation of the earth as it is in heaven. He says, pursue peace with all men and holiness. The word holiness over there, in Greek is the word hegeamos. Okay? And it means that God has made you holy. He's saying pursue peace, pursue holiness. Pursue it, which means stay in constant awareness that God has made you holy. Don't allow yourself to get defiled by the things of this world and the things that people say and do. Don't allow yourself. It is your responsibility to pursue holiness. God has made the provision for it, but you need to have access to that provision. You, it is your responsibility. Holiness is a part of spiritual vitality. Because God hates sin. And sin is what defiles you and me. What is sin? Sin is missing the mark. It's living in disobedience to the word of God. When we have a word that is preached at Life Trust Global, God has tailor-made the message for Life Trust Global. And it is this message that when we say no, 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 I don't obey this message. I, I'm not part of I, this, this. I'm part of this church, but I don't want to submit to this message. When you are saying that, you're saying you're you're willingly you're choosing to live in disobedience to God's word. When you pursue holiness as a lifestyle, you're saying God, you've given me a commandment: be holy, for I am holy. And that word holy means to be set apart. It means to be anointed for God. Your life, he's saying, pursue the understanding that you are set apart. You are anointed. You are separated unto God. It is for His purpose only that you exist. Not for anything else. Your career, jobs, marriage, boyfriend, girlfriend, all of it will be added to you. That's not a problem. It's not a distraction. But don't let that be the main focus of your life. The main focus of your life is to be Christ-like. It's for you to live a holy life unto God. So the writer is saying, pursue peace with all men and holiness. Why? Because without holiness, you will not be able to see the Lord. Which means in your life, if you don't live a set apart life, if you don't live a life where where Christ is the center of your life, if you're being defiled every single day, you're allowing your gaze to shift off Christ and look at every single thing and live in disobedience with Christ or, or disobedience to God's word. Now, it blinds you from seeing the finish line. See the the finish line for you and me. Is Christ. And where the race that we're running, we're running to win. But we're also running, Christ is running with us. The body is running with us. And we're all running so that we can all win this race. But the but the the, the reward at the end of the day is that you and I are being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. It's not a better job, it's not a bigger salary, it's not a many more kids. It's not like prosperity. I don't have to worry about my life anymore. No, ladies and gentlemen, the reward that we're running towards is Christ. And we have to ask the Holy Spirit to expand our hearts so that we could could fall in love with this reward. See, we must understand that the value that you place on Christ determines how well you run your race. So the context of this these two verses 14 and 15 is actually verses 12 and 13 and I want to read that right now he says therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed which means he's saying hey listen don't just think about yourself now Think about the people in your community. Because what happens to the people in your community affects you. See, spiritual vitality is not just, not only personal, but spiritual vitality has to do with the community that you're a part of. The kingdom that you're a part of. The spiritual vitality. If you are awakened, if you're full of faith, what about your brother? What about your sister? And he's saying... There are people in our community today whose hands hang down. He's saying, hey listen, strengthen the hands which hang down. What does that say? It says that people have been working hard. They've, they've, been, they've been working hard at this path of life that they, God has designed specifically for them. And they've, they're tired now. They've gone weak. They've, they have no more strength. And he's saying, come alongside them while you're running your race. Come alongside them and strengthen their hands. By making choices. He says, make a choice to put community first in your life. Make a choice to to put people in your life. Make a choice to to place a a value on the community that you're a part of. The people in your community. Do you even know that the people in your community are weak in this moment? Do you even know that the people in your community have feeble knees? Why do people have feeble knees? He he goes on to say this in verse 13, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. He's saying, hey, listen, are you so only aware of your life that you don't consider what happens in your brothers and sisters' lives in the church? He's saying, listen, are you looking at their life? Are you looking at what is happening in their life? Because if you are seeing weakness in their life, if you, if you, if you are, are, are so aware of them when you're sitting down and having a cup of coffee with them and they're talking and, and initially everything is fine, everything is okay. But as you spend time with them, as you start getting deeper into conversation, are you recognizing that they're weak? They're having weak moments? Are you recognizing that they're they're not running their race anymore, but it's actually walking and now slowing down to a point where their knees have become weak, it's feeble? Do you even notice what is happening in your church? Do you even notice what is happening to the people in your life group? Do you even care for them? Because what he's talking about here, this race that we're running is more about the community than it is about the individual. And he's saying, when you see that their path, that the path that they're on is, is, is bumpy, he says, make it straight for them. Sort of get into the John the Baptist ministry. He's saying this, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated. Why, did, why do people become lame? It's because while they're on their path, somehow they got distracted by a scandal. Somehow they got tripped by a spider web. Somehow they got shot with a with a broken arrow and that broken arrow is now on the inside of them and they're bleeding. And now it's, they've, they've become lame. They've become maimed. And now they've, they're to a point where now they've become dislocated. And now while they're walking this path, even though it, it is a path that God has planned for them, can you love them enough to make their paths straight? So that not... To make their walk become easier with God, but so that they can get healed, he said, "Can you love your brother and sister who who has who has gotten wounded in their walk with God, who have fallen down in in, in their walk with God, but, and, and can you help them get up?" And can you make their path easy? Can you help them study the word? Can you help them prioritize the word in their life? Can you help them prioritize the presence of God? Can you bring the values back into their life so that they can actually, instead of being dislocated and losing their limbs, they can actually step up and now get healed and begin to run the race that God has called them to run. See, because when you see your brother or sister who is weak, guess what? You might think you are strong but corporately as the body we're all weak and we're all slowing down. What the writer of Hebrews in this, in this chapter is asking us is to consider every single person that is in our life. Every single person that is in our church. Do you even know them? Do you even hang out with them? Do you even talk to them? Do you even love them? To a point where you are interested in what is happening in their life. Because if you're not, then you have been focused only on self. What can I get out of this church? Rather than what can I give to this church? What can I give to these people? See, we think that, that, the, that the ministry is only on stage. But here, the writer of Hebrews is saying that the ministry is more within the congregation Then it is the responsibility of the pastor. The health of the church, the spiritual vitality of the church is actually not the responsibility of the man and the woman in front, but it's actually the person sitting next to you. The person in your life group. It's our responsibility to take care of one another, not just financially, but spiritually as well. The spiritual aspect of it is more important than the dynamical, the, dyna- the dynamic of the physical. The need for your life spiritually is more important than just providing money or giving food or doing stuff like that. Although that is very important and it communicates love and it should be done. But are you interested in, in really going deep down in relationship with the person to find out really what, what is happening in their life? Because he's saying that when we, when we run our race, when we're, when we're looking at that finish line, I've got to see my brother running with me. I've got to see my sister running with me. And if I don't see them, I've got to ask them the question, you're not getting off your path. This is the path. Considering one another. You can't just love God and not love your neighbor. Your measure of of love for God is determined in how you love your neighbor as yourself. Now I want you to go to verse 15. And he says this, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. So he's talking about, hey listen, strengthen their hands that hang down and the feeble knees, strengthen it, make their paths straight for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but be healed. And verse 15 says, looking carefully, which means if you're not looking at your brother and sister's walk with God, if you're not looking at the race that they're running, if you're not, if you're not looking at, at the fruit that they're bearing in their life, then You're self-focused and you have to shift now. You've got to shift. Your gaze is on Jesus. Your gaze is on Jesus, the finish line. But your gaze is on Jesus next to you. I hope you get it. The gaze, your gaze is on Jesus who's at the finish line. But your gaze, you should also look at how much of Christ is being formed in your brothers and sisters. Because the Jesus that you're looking up ahead and the Jesus that you're looking next to you should be the same. You can't just look at yourself and say, okay, listen, I'm just, I'm getting, I'm being Christ like right now. I've got to look at my brother. I've got to look at Rabin. I've got to look at Moodle. I've got to look at Chris. I've got to look at Kelsey. I've got to look at so many people. I've got to look at Danny. I've got to look at Maria. I've got to look at these people. Are they running at the same level that I am running? Where are they right now? What is happening in their life right now? What is the fruit? Let me hang out. Call them. Hey, let's hang out. Okay, what's happening in your life? Take interest in somebody's life. Take interest in the person who's next to you, in your life group. Take interest in your life coach. See what is happening in their life. Because if we don't, then we're we're choosing to only see self being formed into the image and likeness of Christ and not the entire body. But, the, but God sees the bigger picture. He's looking at the bigger picture and he's saying, oh, is Christ being formed in Life Church Global? Because that's what he wants to see. Because all of creation, we think that miracle signs and wonders happening in our church is great. And ladies and gentlemen, it is awesome. We listen to the testimonies of what God is doing in our lives personally, and it's awesome. But are you aware of what is happening corporately? What is happening to the ecclesia corporately? Because that should matter. What is happening to the people in your life group? If people are not showing up for life group, you should be asking them the question, why are they not showing up? If you're the person not showing up to the life group, why are you running away from the very body that is interested in giving you life? If you've been distracted, allow somebody in your life to help you get attracted to Christ. And so here he's saying, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Now, this fall short of the grace of God is not a uh, is not a identity issue here. It's not a it's not it's not a, an issue of of being qualified for the grace of God. Fall short has to do with you and I. Actually, while we're running our race, we get. We, get, we, we, we stumble and we fall short of experiencing another level of the grace of God. Which means the travel later has come to an end and now the season has changed and now God expects us to step out of that season and step into a new season and sometimes if our knees are too weak, we've rested, we've sat down and we've relaxed and enjoyed our season of grace and we've not been, we've switched on, we've not been spiritually awake and we come to the end of the travelator and now our knees are too feeble and we fall down. That's what it means by fall short of the of the grace of God. It doesn't mean that God's grace is not available. It just means that you've fallen down, you've fallen short of of stepping into the next level that God has for you. You've given into the the enemy. You've, you've allowed the scandal to trip you. You've allowed that broken arrow to cause you to fall down. And so because of that, you're falling short of the next level of the grace of God. And he's saying, hey, listen, look carefully if there are any of your brothers and sisters who are falling short of the grace of God. And then he goes on to say, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many have become defiled. This is quite interesting that he says this. This term root of bitterness, the root of bitterness produces a fruit called bitterness. And when you, and what he is trying to say here is, is lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. Which means, are you looking at what is happening in your brothers and sisters' lives in the community? Are you coming around them? And are they bearing fruit of bitterness in their life? Because if they're bearing the fruit of bitterness in their life, they're not only just being defiled, but they're also defiling people around you. They're they're, they're defiling people around them. And so if bitterness is not dealt with in their life, if the root of bitterness is not dealt with in their life, then they will constantly create chaos and not shalom in the body of Christ. And so he's saying this now. He's saying, this root of bitterness, this fruit springs up and causes trouble. And by this, many have become defiled. Which means when people in the congregation, this is not an issue with the pastor or the leader or any of that stuff. This has to do with people who you're hanging out with. And he's saying, watch carefully, what kind of fruit are they producing? Because if you're not discerning of the fruit in their life, you by mistake can actually eat of the fruit of bitterness rather than the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when you eat of that fruit of bitterness in your life, guess what happens to you? Instead of being holy, now you become defiled. And you have to watch because these things, They come very subtly, these people, they come very subtly into the congregation and with sweet swaying words, they offer the fruit of bitterness and many, he's saying, by this many have become defiled. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 25 says this, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another we are members of one another so what is Paul saying here he's saying speak truth don't speak true words right don't speak true facts but speak the truth of the word of God to one another why because it's the word of God that builds each other up The word of God that builds the house. The word of God that strengthens one another. The word of God that strengthens us as a community so that we can run the race that God has for us as a church. And then he says in verse 29, he says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Come on now, this is powerful. He's saying, let no corrupt word, which means when you speak the truth, hey listen, don't speak corruption to people, don't speak rubbish to people, don't speak things that that cause them to fall short of grace. Verse 29 says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. You can edify when it's not necessary. But when it's necessary, look at the person's life. Listen, look at their their story. Look at where they need the truth. Don't just take truth and just preach, 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 preach to people. Look at the need in their life. And based on that, give them the truth that edifies them. That it may impart grace to the hearers. So he's saying that the responsibility to impart grace is yours and mine. But we don't, we, we, we don't have grace as in like, okay, I have authority over grace. Now I'm going to give you grace. Wow, take grace. No, ladies and gentlemen, grace is embedded in the word. And when you and I understand that, then when I speak the word of God to you, I'm imparting grace to you. Today, I'm imparting the grace of God to you because I've spoken God's word to you. So when you receive the word of God, when you receive this word, now the grace of God begins to fill in you so that you can now begin to run an extra mile. You can run an extra, you know, drive an extra kilometer. You can drive an extra 100 kilometers because of the grace of God in your life. Verse 31, very important verse. He says, let all bitterness, that fruit, right? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. He's saying, hey, let, put all bitterness aside. I mean, get rid of that fruit of bitterness. Get rid of wrath as in acting like fast, without thinking, acting fast. He says, remove anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. See, the reason why we, we, get a, we, we, we don't forgive people is because we've lost track of the fact and the truth that we were at one point forgiven. When you and I constantly remember that Christ forgave us, then we will not hold unforgiveness against someone else. And he's saying, hey, listen, can you be kind to one another in the church? Can you be tenderhearted to one another? Can you forgive one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you? He's saying, hey, listen, we're all running a race. We, we're, You know, let me tell you something. It, this happens only in church. The expectation that a Christian has in a church of other Christians is so high compared to what a Christian has of a person in the world. If this is the expectation of Christians in the church, this is the expectation of people in the world, that a Christian has of people in the world. But sad to say, most of the worst come to church the people who are fully aware that they are sinners are the ones who are in church. The people who are not aware that they are sinners are actually in the world. And when people who are fully aware of their mistakes, people who who are not perfect, are in church, your expectation of them, when it's so high, when they let you down, you get hurt. My suggestion... My 10th sense of encouragement for you today is bring your expectation level down to this much of people in church. Because everybody is a work in progress. Everybody is running this race together. If you bring your expectation over your life also very low, just bring it low. Because you will not strive for perfection but you'll actually live with excellence. And you won't have a, a, such a high expectation of, of, of Pastor John. Wow, he's a pastor here. He has to behave a certain way. I mean, Pastor John doesn't behave a certain way. You get offended. When your life coach, you have high expectations. He needs to call me. Does he now? When you have such high expectations of your life coach and they don't meet those expectations, you just, you stop going to life group. Oh no, no, they don't care for me. Because you have such high expectations. You expect them to be perfect. You expect people in your church to be perfect. I'll tell you, we're all being perfected. And because we are being perfected, be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted towards one another. Forgive one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. So we're all running this race together. When we, are, when we have this consciousness that I'm running the race based on what God is calling me to do, but also at the same time, I'm considerate of my brother and sister in my community and the race that they're running and the help that they need in this race, Now, I have become more aware of the spiritual vitality that God has provided and made a provision for, not only for your life, but also for the entire body. Let me tell you something. Every single Christian needs the church. Every single Christian, born again believer, needs to be part of an ecclesia. Because some days you may fall, but your brother's faith might pick you up. Someday your brother might fall, but if you don't have relationship with him, how would you pick him up? We've called to be running this race together with one another. Life Church Global is not about one person. I've said it from the beginning. That one person ministry has died on the cross and it gave birth to the body of Christ. We're all running this race together. We run this race together and together we win this race. And the, the victory that you and I are called to, the joy that you and I have in this life is to be fully transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. I want to pray for you today. I know this word has been a, a, a bit of a stretching word for us to, to understand, but I pray that that as you, you listen to it again, as you allow the, the Holy Spirit to reveal what, what He's saying in His word to us today, I truly believe that this community will be strong. This community will be, will be full of faith. This community will be fully aware of of how spiritually strong we are in the kingdom of God. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for Life Church Global. I thank you that we are a community of people who love one another. Father, what good is it if we win the race but our brothers and sisters are left behind Father you have made this provision of your grace available to every single person in our church and Father I pray that the Holy Spirit would begin to awaken us the Holy Spirit would begin to quicken us Lord to the reality of the spiritual vitality in our lives. The reality that you have made the provision for us to experience the abundance of life, the abundance of joy, the abundance of your energy in our life, the abundance of your vitality in our life, the zeal for your house. It is within us. You have already made the provision for us. God, I ask you that your Holy Spirit would quicken us so that we could step into that, God. We could step into that provision, but also, God, we would open our eyes to look at our brothers and sisters, to look at what is happening in our church, to look at what is happening to the people that we have relationships with and consider them as we run this race, God. That this race is not a single race but it is a team race. It is a marathon that we run together as a team. Lord I pray that the church would become aware of it and that we would run this race knowing fully well that the prize at the end of the day is at the end of the race is being fully transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. Father I thank you for the anointing that is upon our church. I thank you Father that you have made this grace available to us. And so this week, Father, I declare right now, in the name of Jesus, that we will step into the fullness of this grace. And that we would become awakened to what is available to us as a community. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, church, I know this word has been a blessing to you. I want you to to position your heart, position your mind in such a way that you would allow the Holy Spirit to awaken you, to stretch you and awaken you to the possibilities in your life by the grace of God. I want you to, to really consider this word that it's not just about you running your race alone. But God has called you and I to run this race together as a community. Every single one in our community is needed. So this week I want to encourage you, you know, watch out for your brothers and sisters. Don't get offended by their flaws. Don't eat of the fruit of bitterness in their life, but watch out for them. Feed them love, joy. Patience from your life, long suffering. Feed them the fruit that is that is that, that the Holy Spirit births in your life. Watch out for them. Take them out for a cup of coffee. Hang out with people. Grow to a life group with the intention of getting to know people so that people can so that you can speak into their life and people can also speak into your life. Look to be look to encourage people and, and be encouraged. In, in the community. Don't look for what you can get out of it, but actually look for what you can give to the community. So, this week, I want to encourage you to have a powerful week full of the grace of God. I want to encourage you to pursue peace, pursue holiness, forgive one another, be tender hearted towards one another, love one another, speak the word that imparts grace into one another this week. And I know that you are going to have a phenomenal week this week. So I bless you and we'll see you next week. God bless. Bye.